the day of, I arrived really early in the pre-dawn hours. Everything at the temple started at just after dawn. It was still dark. I came across in the temple courtyard this young priest whom I knew rather well. And he was wearing um, his priestly garb, a silk, in preparation for the festival. But he was also wearing a helmet with a radio receiver and headphones within it. And I asked him, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm going up in the helicopter. And everyone sort of slapped him on the back and said, oh, he's up gun. He was terrified, actually. But he was game. That's anthropologist Tulasi Srinivas recounting a pivotal moment from her fieldwork in her hometown of Bangalore, India. What is so interesting about Bangalore is, when I was growing up there, it was a fairly quiet place, but it has always been, in the latter part of the 20th century, a center for technology. The city of Bangalore is a cutting-edge technology hub, often referred to as the Silicon Valley of India. This is Vice News reporter Krishna Andavolu. To many, the future of technology doesn't lie in Silicon Valley, but in places like Bangalore. Bangalore is a city primed to emerge as a global leader in tech, with its nation's investment in education and innovation paving the way for a potential overthrow of Silicon Valley as the center of the tech universe. But India's Silicon Valley is also a site of Hindu revival. As the young priest made his way to the helicopter on that morning in 1999, Thousands of Bangaloreans were gathered around the temple. They were gathered to witness Banashankari Devi, a Hindu goddess, come to life. Srinivas spent years conducting fieldwork in Bangalore in the 1990s. Her central finding, that technological development and Hindu ritual were both flourishing in the city, contradicted a major theory in the study of religion. When I started out my work in sociology of religion, Almost everyone in the field believed in what generally was called secularization theory, which when you take apart some of the pretentious verbiage of sociologists, really is a very simple thesis. It's a thesis that modernity leads to a decline of religion. The more modernity, the less religion. This is Peter Berger, a prominent sociologist, theologian, and Srinivas's doctoral advisor. Here, he is speaking at a 2011 forum hosted by the Ethics and Public Policy Center in D.C. Berger was a central proponent of secularization theory in his early work. But toward the end of his career, he changed his mind completely. I changed my mind not because of any religious or philosophical changes on my own, but simply because I concluded that the evidence simply did not support this thesis. And I was not the only one. Almost everyone in the field came to the same conclusion, many of them about the same time. If you look at the contemporary world, to describe it as secular is impossible. The real situation is that most of the world is as religious as it ever was. This is Illuminations, a limited series from Ministry of Ideas about the complex and captivating relationship of religion and science. This episode looks at the cultivation of religious wonder through technology in contemporary Bangalore. As innovations in tech transform the city, innovations in Hindu ritual bring the gods to life and make divine presence more palpable than ever before. In that fieldwork episode, what happened was that 
the chief priest of the temple asked me for many, many months to help him find a helicopter. Helicopter technology wasn't a traditional part of Hindu ritual. But for Dandu Shastri, chief priest of the Ganesha temple, a helicopter was exactly what he needed to bring a Hindu deity to life. He was girding up, actually, to install a deity, a female deity called Banashankari Devi. She's a famous incarnation of Devi, the goddess principle. And so he had built this temple for her. And on the day of her installation, he wanted to use the helicopter to bathe the temple tower in sacred water and flowers at the exact moment of the enlivening of the deity. In this ritual, called Prana Pratrista, temple priests bring the spirit of a goddess into a statue in her image. They first breathe the breath of life into the statue and then draw on her eyes. Once the eyes of the deity are drawn on the statue, the goddess Banashankari has descended and fully embodies the statue with her presence. Once the eyes were drawn, there was this tremendous sort of crescendo of music, of drumming and of flutes. And at that exact moment, the priest started yelling over a megaphone he had, Oh, look, helicopters come, helicopter. Uh, with thousands of people in the temple courtyard to see this enlivening, there were priests chanting mantras, there was drumming and flutes, the light and the sound, it was quite magnificent. But when he shouted, look, helicopters come, stayed sudden silence as everyone looked into the sky. Even the mantra stopped, which was astounding. The smoke was still present. Um, even the drumming stopped, the bell clanging stopped. It was a moment of silence, which is very unusual in Hindu ritual, as everyone peered into the sky. And we all looked up into the sky. And we couldn't see the helicopter, so we waited. There was a silence. We waited. And suddenly, like in a Hollywood movie, from behind the temple tower rose this dark helicopter. And I could see the priest's face looking down to make sure that he got the target right. It circled once, and it, nothing happened. And there's a sense of uh, a sort of sigh go through the crowd. The second time the helicopter came around, there was a Brahmani kite called a Garuda, which nested in the trees of the temple. A Brahmani kite is an eagle with reddish-brown body plumage and striking white head and breast feathers. And it was disturbed by the sound of the helicopter, and it took off. So rising from behind the temple tower came this helicopter with the Garuda in front of it. The Garuda is a symbol of Vishnu. He rides this. Uh, in myth, he rides a Brahmani kite. And so the priest became sort of oh, apoplectic with joy. He started shouting, Garuda, helicopter, helicopter, Garuda, Garuda, helicopter, repeatedly into the megaphone. We all looked to the sky and, and the priest found his target. And we were all bathed in this holy water, the Tirtha, and uh, the sacred flower petals. And this sort of moment of the fusing of the sacred vehicle of Vishnu with this modern technology of the helicopter was the transformative moment because I found myself moved and I was surrounded by engineers. They had worked at the Hindustan Aeronautics Limited. Some of them had worked in AI. Some of them had worked in robotics and other important engineering fields, but they were as moved as me to see the helicopter Garuda infusion over the temple tower. 
many in the crowd were moved to tears. Srinivas describes a palpable sense of wonder caused by this fusion of a new technology and a sacred manifestation of the divine. What made this moment especially meaningful was that it captured something Srinivas had been consistently observing throughout her research. For much of the 20th century, the secularization thesis defined our understanding of religion in modern society. The secularization thesis predicted that as societies became more modern, religion would decline. And that decline would coincide with religion's retreat from the public sphere. Religion might survive in some form, but it would become increasingly more private and separate from the public worlds of politics, science, and commerce. But that's not what Srinivas found. It's quite common to go to pubs in Bangalore and hear people talk about tech. But you'll hear people talk about tech and cutting-edge technology, not just in bars and pubs, but you'll hear it in temples. It's integrated into the warp and weft of the society in Bangalore. It's not surprising to me that the spaces in Bangalore that one would consider religious would also be technologically savvy spaces. In Srinivas's observations, religious ritual and scientific development were not taking place in separate social spaces. The engineers who attended rituals at Hindu temples were not putting their scientific thinking on hold to temporarily embrace a religious mindset. Instead, technology and divinity were operating as overlapping sources of awe and wonder. There was a sense of mapping divinity onto technology and technology onto divinity, which the helicopter Garuda moment encapsulated for me. Early social scientists often viewed religion as a pre-modern attempt to explain how the world works, a vestigial relic of primitive thinking. In this view, religion and science offer conflicting explanations for the nature of reality. Understanding the world through a religious framework is seen as maintaining unquestioning adherence to traditional dogma, while understanding the world through a scientific framework is seen as a practice of inquiry, experimentation, and weighing of evidence. In this early modern view, many assumed that as science progressed and offered more accurate explanations of reality, religion would become unnecessary. But in fact, religion isn't just an explanatory framework. It also offers experiences of a felt sense of presence, wonder, and relationship with the divine, experiences that scientific technologies can amplify. Instead of seeing new technology as a threat to authentic religion, we might look for ways they can offer new opportunities for the divine to be made more present in the world. The helicopter in the temple ritual enhanced and amplified the sensory experience of Banashankari's divine presence, generating a powerfully immersive experience at the moment of the Devi's enlivening in a way that was entirely novel. In religious studies at least, ritual has always been postulated as the traditional, the unchanging. Right? And one goes back to it when things in the world shift around. In fact, I came to the conclusion that ritual, in all likelihood, changed with every generation. And what we thought of as tradition was, in fact, not traditional as, at all. For example, liturgical texts might say, the God is offered fruit and flowers. And in my grandfather's time, they would offer fruits and flowers that grew locally, they would offer lotuses bananas. But the priest, as I noted in the book, 
today offers kiwi-free fruit grown in Australia, and he offers exotic roses grown in the Netherlands. And when I ask him, well, what is this? He comes up with a sort of sacred text that explains why he's using that, even though it's far from indigenous, it's far from local. He places glistening kiwi fruit slices on, on the Ganesha deity's tummy, and I say, this kiwi fruit comes from Australia. And he says, yes, you are the problem. You keep asking me these questions. The kiwi fruit Ganesha likes because he likes things with many seeds, many facets. So pomegranate is one that's grown in India. Kiwi fruit is another. I came to the conclusion that our understanding of ritual as traditional comes merely from our understanding of it within human memory. And therefore, a future generation might look back and see LED lights and camera frames all together and understand them as one and the same, since LED lights will be part of older technology for them. Now, I look at LED lights as something new, but that doesn't mean that 50 years later there will be any new at all. The ritual morphs and changes to make itself relevant to people in the world. We tend to think it is unchanging. In fact, it changes all the time. The ways that people form and maintain relationships with the gods adapt and change. Candles and pomegranates become LED lights and kiwi slices. Tech innovations allow for the construction of larger deities that can see and be seen by more worshippers. Loud speakers on the roofs of temples amplify the sounds of Hindu verses beyond the temple walls. In this sense, certain modern advancements actually do the exact opposite of what many early sociologists predicted. The scientific ethos of Bangalore has not driven out the gods. Instead, new technologies can make their presence even more real. We've discussed how many early 20th century sociologists saw religion primarily as an explanatory framework that would be superseded by science. But Rudolf Otto, an influential German theologian from around the same time period, had a radically different view. Otto argued that we should understand religion primarily as a profound experience of awe and wonder. This wondrous awe, which he called the numinous, is what Srinivas describes in her account of the Garuda helicopter. The helicopter Garuda is a moment encapsulated for me. This sort of unexplained beauty and terror that both divinity encapsulated as well as technology encapsulated. I found myself moved as well. I was surrounded by engineers, but they were as moved as me to see the helicopter Garuda. Religion shouldn't be seen as just veneration of the old or the traditional. It can be an avenue towards new experiences, new feelings, and it can use new technologies to create these. Together, these forces can connect us with things that are higher, both within us and without. And they can connect us to each other, as we experience this wondrous awe together. Illuminations is a limited series from Ministry of Ideas. We are supported by Harvard Divinity School and the John Templeton Foundation. Illuminations is produced by me, Zachary Davis, Leah Rechtman, Maria Devlin-McNair, and Nick Anderson. Script editing is by Galen Beebe. Sound design and music is by Steve LaRosa, and artwork is by Dan Pecci. If you enjoy this podcast, you can support us by sharing the show with your friends, subscribing, and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. For more information or to get in touch, 
visit our website at ministryofideas.org. Ministry of Ideas is a proud member of Hub & Spoke, a collective of carefully crafted, idea-driven podcasts. You can check out all of our shows at hubspokeaudio.org. Today, I'd like to invite you to listen to the Hub & Spoke show subtitle. Subtitle is about languages and the people who speak them. A recent episode explores where Black American English is headed. Thanks to immigration and social media, African American English is increasingly taking on new words, phrases, and speech patterns from the Caribbean and Africa. Learn more and listen at subtitlepod.com. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.